a mother, a founder, a philanthropist, a fighter. I can go on and on about Lindsay and her story, because that's how inspiring she is. Lindsay Whitmer Collins is the founder of Welcome App Studio, and I've always wanted to invite a founder to my podcast. Undoubtedly, it is very important for a founder to understand their users. In fact, even more than the user researcher. Her story has a lot of wisdom for all the user research enthusiasts out there. I am your host Sweekriti and this is India's first user research podcast Core User to UX. It's a pleasure to have you here. I have discussed a lot of stories with you and I can't wait to tell my listeners those stories. So thank you so much for joining in. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Awesome. So let's start with the most interesting topic first which is your app who farted <laughs> and uh, the name and the story of the app are equally interesting so let's start from there like what motivated you to make the app and what was the journey of you know understanding how to make the app and all of this is important because you are a founder and till now i've only invited user researchers on my podcast and getting a founder's perspective like when the founder is the main researcher or the main visionary then what happens and you know inculcating those principles so i love you to take us over that journey yeah so just at a high level to understand my landscape i have an app research design development studio so we have built designed launched probably close to 200 products at this point over 14 years by now. And so we are always doing client or agency work and at the same time we have started developing and launching our own products and this has the benefit of really putting and keeping ourselves in our clients shoes in terms of their stakes and perspectives and the the process so we kind of can deliver better to them because we can have more empathy for the situation they're in and who farted is a project built purely for joy literally to make kids laugh out loud that's it that's our number one goal is to make kids laugh out loud it started the the seed of the idea was eating cereal with my son he's 3 at the time in the morning and we were um guessing what it sounds like when a butterfly farts or when a frog farts or when a crab farts and so we were cracking each other up what does it sound like when a strawberry farts you know kids at that age farts are so funny and it's like the most universal or fart sounds i would say it's like the most universal thing that you can do like any toddler no matter what language they speak it's gonna laugh get them to laugh so something like this so the seed of the idea was born through that of like what if we create some little digital worlds with characters and we could play out our imagination of what it would sound like if these characters farted um with the goal of making kids laugh then we just we had that idea we liked it and it like lived up here and then the ukraine war happened My team is in Ukraine. My office was in Lviv and the war was devastating to everyone. We also the year prior to that had basically a baby boom inside of the agency. I think we had like four or five babies that year including myself. And so there were all these toddlers running around us. 
most of whom had become refugees, right, over the, the period of that crisis. And then at that point, doing a project that would make them laugh became like, it was a good idea. Now it's like, we have to do it. Also, because things were pretty heavy and serious, and it was an opportunity for us to create and just be creative and have fun, just purely have fun as makers, right? Um, so then we we did it. We built it. We also wanted to learn more about sound and animation, which are things that are not typically central to the experience for most apps. But for this one, it would be. And so that would give us an opportunity to learn and grow as an agency, bring those skills back to our clients as well. So we worked with a couple of different illustrators. We tested out those illustrators with our kids, you know, what was resonating for them. Our initial version just had a character who would fart when you tapped on them. And that was not engaging enough. So we zoomed out and we created and like whole world. So there was like context. There were many, many characters in the world. And so there were lots of things for the child to tap. And then we also realized that we couldn't have the same fart sound just repeating over and over because it stopped being funny and it started sounding weird. So we then created like each character has a like four different sounds that randomly um, are triggered. So there was a lot of iteration in those early days, just working with our kids and making sure that they made them smile. I think, you know, it's the best thing for me with this product is that it's something my kids really want to use. And they would not lie to me about that because they're little and they're honest and they're not thinking about how it would make me feel. And that's a huge, a huge win. You know, most of the stuff that we create doesn't actually get used or read or listened to or whatever, you know, like hit songs are not common, you know, so to be able to create something that people actually really want and crave is, uh, is a big feat, you know? Um, so, and that's always the goal so that we, we were able to achieve that goal with our kids. But another layer on top of it was we basically created 12 imaginative worlds that you can scroll through and choose a world. And when you enter the world, there's a story, like a silly story that's rhyming. It's like a four line or it's a it's an eight line poem, simple, funny poem. And we were able to recruit Emmy award-winning actors, famous comedians to do the voices for all the worlds. So we have like a literally famous cast in the background. and. All of the profits from the project are going to nonprofits that support children. So we chose the Children's Hospital in Kyiv. It's the largest children's hospital in Ukraine. The Environmental Defense Fund, which is helping to preserve the environment for our children. And also an agency that works in the U.S. to lobby for safer gun laws in the U.S., and that, which is a very more of a U.S.-centric problem that deals with children. So those are the three things we really wanted to benefit. So we're sending all of our profits there. Three of the worlds are free. And then to unlock all the rest of the worlds, you need to get a toots key, which is this shiny, swirling key. It looks like a skeleton key, like an old-fashioned key. And it has toots etched in it. It's pretty silly. So we tried to make the process, the paywall, be really fun and funny as well. And also feel good. 
So that was fun for us to just kind of create something that was funny and fun and felt good all around. The entire ecosystem and all these stories associated with this are extremely interesting, like from your conversation at your dinner table to Ukraine and all the nonprofits you are helping. This is a really interesting story. So hats off to you, Lindsay, for creating something like that. And uh, the kids love it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, already. Yeah, look, download it. It's free on both app stores. So everybody should check uh-huh. it out. It's Who Farted Kids Story Games. So I would like you to talk about the testing process with kids because working with kids is an entirely different game and entirely different mindset so mm-hmm. what was it like testing the app with kids and then getting those inputs and deciding what to keep what not to keep but actually it's easier to work with kids because they're super honest so you can yeah. you know inculcate their inputs very quickly so what was your experience like yeah um I loved the process because I, I love kids. And so I went to a couple of different preschools to do beta tests with kids, uh, in addition to us testing it on our own. Um, one of the main things that we learned was that our navigation had to be a little bit different. So I just watched the way that the kids sort of intuity, intuitively interacted with the interface. Initially, I thought they would want to swipe and that we would create a page turning animation, like a swipe page turn. That ended up being technically pretty difficult to pull off well, because, well, that's a long long story, but that ended up being, it was like kind of a big project to make that work um, and add sound to it. And it was a pain in the butt, but also like kids didn't actually intuitively do that. They knew it was a screen, They didn't think it was a book, you know? And so having big buttons and arrows is really important. Designing for a a pre-literate population is really interesting and fun because there's, they can't read a thing. (laughs) So like there are words, but we're trying to really visually communicate. So all of the worlds are really very richly illustrated and you decide, okay, I wanna go in that world and then the story starts to be read to you. Um, So the navigation, I think, was one of the biggest ones, and I changed it multiple times to make it more and more clear. At the last moment, I decided that I should do it differently, and we should actually put the buttons at the top of the interface, and we should have a back and a front up at the top and bright and purple. But my team was like, Lindsay, we got to launch this. The kids know how to use this. We validated that. So we're just going to launch, you know, they kind of like just said, okay, it's time to stop iterating. We know that this, it's important to keep in mind, I think, as a founder that you can kind of get lost, lost in the sauce, if you will, and get in the weeds and be like, just want to perfect every single little detail. But at some point it's good enough. You know, Um, I also got really caught up in um, volume. So I was, I did all the sounds myself besides obviously the narration of the stories, all the little sound effects I was finding and timing and creating these little sound files. So I was teaching myself how to do this and the moderating the volume of all of them was actually fairly difficult to do. (laughs) And 
so I learned like, oh, I need to have like actual headphones on because I wasn't able to discern all that well. Um, and I felt that there were some problems with some of the volumes in the world and we launched anyway. And I experienced the app now and I'm like, this is fine. Totally fine. Well, you know, um, that happens fairly often to me. And I think it might probably happen to other founders as well. Um, there's another app we're building where I designed this UX for creating a, a listing, creating a, a product and a list. And I had designed it and iterated on it multiple times before I showed it to somebody. Before I showed it to that person, I had in my mind like 10 things I thought were wrong with it or that I wanted to improve. And I showed it to her. I watched her use it. She didn't even notice the experience, which is how you know that you did a good job. You know, she didn't comment on it. She just got it done. And when I asked specifically, like, okay, well, what was that like? Did you feel like it was easy or whatever? She's like, oh, yeah, it was great. Um, so I think it's it's something that just happens. You just get, I don't know if you're a perfectionist, if you're a little bit obsessive, which I am about UX. I just always feel like I can make everything better. But at some point, does it, does it get the job done? Do people like it? Okay, let's launch and, you know, zoom out a little bit. Very interesting points you brought up here. First one being that if I was a kid, maybe that book animation would have appealed to me a lot because I grew with books, right? But today's okay. kids start with screens. Mm -hmm. So they don't really care about books or anything. Just those big buttons and those clicks are more intuitive to them mm -hmm. than book animation. So it's such a huge change that we are seeing. And Thanks for bringing that up. So, you know, this is also an example of the generational attitude and perspective change. And this is something we as designers should keep in mind because to you, the book animation made sense, but the reality is very different from your generation to what is happening now. So mm -hmm. that is a very interesting story. And yeah, to the point of iteration, you have to stop somewhere. In fact, even I was like this, but uh, then user research is a very... Um, field intensive job right even when I'm doing online research I am in the participants world and mm -hmm. when you do such jobs you know okay you learn like what will actually work in the world and what is good enough and where to stop so all credit to user research for that and uh, thank you for bringing that up that's a really important point so Lindsay another thing that we talked about was the main principle of your organization welcome and it's empathy and mm -hmm. i was really curious that why you chose that principle i have heard user researchers talk about empathy ux designers talk about empathy you should empathize with the users yeah because it sort of has become like our go-to term but what made you choose empathy as a founder and you know because there are 100 things that you're looking after so why this thing what is so appealing or the story behind it i didn't intentionally or vocally choose empathy it's just it's it's who i am and the way that i got started in this field was as somebody so this was like way back in the day when like the app store just launched and like back when people were still using 
blackberries that was like the first wave right and i wanted to create a product back then like nobody really knew <laughs> how to do it right and so i thought oh well, well i'll just find an agency and i'll hire them and they'll create my product simple as that right they'll guide me through it but i didn't really understand the process, what was involved, what I should care about and pay attention to. And I just expected this other organization to walk me through it. What they did instead was just not deliver. They were pretty dishonest. They would deliver like these glimpses of things, but not really, they weren't getting my project done. And I didn't realize that until like six to nine months later, you know, because they were, were not being honest with me, but I thought I could trust them. And I had investors and people who had paid for real estate within this product. There were health coaches who were going to be listed within this product. It was a wellness related thing. So all of them were waiting. Okay. Like we've, we've invested in that. Like we have money invested in this product. When's it going to launch? I'm like, well, it's going to launch at this date, depending on what they said to me. And then they wouldn't deliver. And then I looked like a liar. Now I have to say, oh, okay, actually, it's going to be delivered on this date. And then it wasn't. Well, it's going to be delivered on this date. And then it wasn't. And so that in turn, that was the worst part of it for me is like here. I'm not the kind of person who says I'm going to get something done. And then I don't. I'm not the kind of person who doesn't deliver on time. And or be transparent. But this was a situation where I could not be transparent or honest because they weren't being transparent or honest with me. I think that was a valuable experience in many ways, but it was it was like a dark night of the soul also for me because I did spend a lot of money and pay them a lot of money. Um, and then at the end, when I really realized this wasn't going to happen and I needed to find another plan, that's when I started learning about and basically constructing the process for myself in order to get the product done. So I apprenticed with a professor at MIT who owns a really successful um, user research and user experience design agency based out of Arlington, right outside of Boston. Um, and he looked at my designs. He was pretty merciless and his feedback on them. And they were terrible because I was new, right? But I absolutely loved it. I would was obsessed. Like I would stay up all night and kind of work on and tweak a UX and then show it to him. And eventually I realized and he communicated to me like this is something that this is a way of thinking that I am well suited to and that I love. Um, just systems design, you know? So, so I kind of found my, my place and it felt really good. Um, and then I had to figure out how do you put together a development team? How do you manage them? What's a sprint? I worked with some developers who I just hired based in the U.S. There was not a lot of accountability or honesty or transparency there too. So like really, I walked away with an understanding of this process with a knowing that I loved, loved UX design. Um, and also I basically limped over the finish line, you know, it launched. Um, but like I was pretty burnt at that point. It was early days in the app store though. And I got a lot of press around this product. People actually really liked it. I got a lot of downloads. Like it was, 
in my mind, it was like a very mediocre product, right? Just because that's how, you know, that's how I could sort of, I understand how everything could be better all the time, you know? So I was like, I don't know if this is any good, but people did really like it. And I got a lot of press and I had a pretty big network at that time. And so people were reaching out to me, oh, I want to build an app too. You know, these are early days, you know, that was maybe 2011, um, 2010. And so I kind of understood the landscape and it's like watching people who you like walk into a pond that, you know, is full of alligators. Like this is going to be terrible. (laughs) It's going to be a massacre. Like you're going to lose a lot of money. Like this is just, this is tough to, it's tough to get across this with yourself still intact and your your vision realized in a way that feels really good and is an integrity with what you wanted and, you know, getting over it, it just, basically I started consulting and helping them and eventually started kind of doing it for them and building a team and, you know, researching how to, what project management is, what is QA, like how do these things work you know, and I just, I was like, I, I can carry you across this. I'm going to put you in a raft and I'm going to carry you across. At the time, I had another business that I wanted to start that was totally unrelated to software and technology. So I was just doing this work on the side. I had no revenue model. I had no website. I was just doing it for people. And I realized, well, just what happened over time was there was, a lot of demand for this work. And so I stopped doing the other work and I just helped people create apps. And over the past, you know, 14 years, I've been doing that um, and built the agency that I needed back then and that I wanted that would care about me and be invested in my vision, be transparent, do it the right way. So it doesn't just look good, but like the stuff that you can't see, the code is 100% guaranteed to be high quality. It's something that you can build upon that's going to perform for you. That's, you know, you don't need to have a giant maintenance budget because it just works. So that's my story. And welcome is my initials are LWC. So initially when I got started, it was only me. And then we became a team. So I didn't just want it to be called Lindsay Whitmer Collins or LWC, whatever, you know, that's where I was. So I just switched around the letters and made welcome, you know, WLC and then add the M, put W over. And that word or the concept of welcome to me embodies everything that good software is. And every user experience should be welcoming. And that's just the spirit of the work and, and how we do it. That's a really interesting story. Um, you know, your bad experiences led you to bring empathy forward and make it sort of your core principle. And yeah, that's really interesting. Now that you've told the story, I realize that a lot of things that we show to the world, like the world doesn't know where they're coming from. And uh, there are so many stories behind it. So thank you so much for touching upon it. So another interesting thing that you talked about was you were developing this child care center app and your experience of going there and you being a mother. That was a really interesting arc. Um, 
you know how did you tackle the challenges of it and how did you reiterate there uh, that was a really interesting story and i would really like my listeners to listen to it so the stage is all yours yeah sure so one of our clients is brella they are a fast growing exciting startup based in los angeles um founded by two mothers who wanted to redesign the model of childcare and they have just an incredible hypothesis about how it should work and how they would set it up and part of their work was that the space is the third teacher so the and one of the founders is an amazing architect so these childcare centers are world class some of the most beautiful imaginative spaces for made for little people they're incredible so they're building they're building these beautiful spaces and also a model of childcare through which you can just decide that you want childcare that day download the app you know fill out some forms and then just bring your kid there for 2 hours no commitments you know you can bring them there for an hour at a time here or there they can you make your own schedule yeah i mean it's a great model and concept it's also super fun and exciting to build we basically we have built all of the software that runs the center so the administration panel like the front desk software the parent mobile app and how these things integrate how they get data for business intelligence from that um and yeah moderate all of the touch points with the parents digitally so as a part of this process i went and basically moved to la for a month and brought my kids to brella and in doing that i was able to touch not only what use what we had built and designed together but but there are parts of the experience that we haven't dealt with yet you know our ultimate goal is to have custom designed every single touch point but short term there are you know some things where they're using third parties for like automating form filling for example so by going there and using all of it it helps me to understand well to know the parent experience from start to finish and advise on where we should really focus our resources in terms of the parent experience and then i also spent some time shadowing teachers and the administrative you know the front desk there's so much more potential to build there and we needed to be able to elucidate all of them and prioritize them and just decide okay we're going to focus on the parent experience the teacher experience the front desk experience maximizing profit so there's a whole model that we built around deciding whether or not to show somebody an available hour it might be available but we might not show it to them or it might not be available but we do show it it's like the way that airlines book airplanes they do it like there's a whole model for showing availability and also for pricing to make sure that all of its dynamic in learning so that we are able to get the classrooms as full as possible while sticking to one of brella's core tenants which was to be available last minute for parents who need it so that's where we reserve hours hold them back until like 
two hours before. <laughs> so you might be, it might show that it's not available, but then like the hour before it, it is, you know, and you know how watching the traffic has helped us to figure out and balance those priorities. Because obviously from a business perspective, it would be great to get it all booked up ahead of time. But what they want to do is be a last minute resource for parents and an as needed kind of thing. So if they had, were fully booked with kids who are like basically full time, no longer is it this place where anybody can come and go. Now all of a sudden it's a traditional childcare center. So we have limits on how much people can book. So very exciting and fun challenge that I, I like just super enjoy all of it. I mean, we're working right now on like a dynamic scheduling for teachers because there are a lot of labor laws in California. So like you have to have a 15 minute break within the first three hours of starting your shift. You have to have lunch within X hours. You have to have, oof, I could go down a whole rabbit hole. But basically staffing the rooms and allowing, so we always are have the right teacher-student ratio, even if a teacher steps out, so they have to step out and then step back in, and the teacher steps out, steps back in, there's a resource teacher that will step in and fill in, and that's actually fairly complex to put together those schedules manually, so we're building a system that does it for the director, and they can just see, okay, this person needs needs to take their break. At 11.15, like make sure they do it. Yeah, so that's what we're working on now. It's fairly, uh, it's just fun and complicated. And to make it a simple experience for everyone is the, the ultimate challenge. That was such an interesting story, Lindsay. I loved your anthropological approach to building a product. You went there, you stayed there. And that is so interesting because there would have been so many factors that you wouldn't have th- thought about if you weren't there, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Even just watching the teachers, there are certain things they need to track for infants, like diaper changes and nap times and things like that. How are they doing it right now? How easy or hard is it? <laughs> you know, how could we make it easier? can be fairly, you know, some of these tracking can be fairly complex. So how to, yeah. And then, okay, we might understand that we can do this better, but is this the biggest priority for the center right now? You know, a whole other discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And I also love, like you not only experienced the entire UX, the real life UX of the childcare center, but also kept the goals in mind and then developed the entire thing. And that is so important for creators, like be it developers or designers and even researchers. If you don't have the business seed in the idea you're creating, things will eventually fall apart. So even if you have the greatest UX and you are doing this, you are doing that. If your foundation is not business oriented, things can take a wrong turn. So thank you so much for sharing that story. Not only did I learn about this anthropological approach to building things? It's so cool, Lindsay. <laughs> absolutely, like moving to a place and then learning all about it. That is an immersive way to create something and then keeping the business goal in mind. So thank you so much for sharing that story. It's really interesting. Lindsay, there was another interesting point that you had brought up in our intro call, and that was when founders are not all of their users and how founders can fall into this trap of thinking that okay um i 
I would also use this app and I would like it to be my way. And it's an important point. I'll tell you why. Uh, initially, there is not a lot of budget. So founders have this tendency to not invest in user research, which I understand that, okay, you know, you are tight on budget, you're tight on funding. Uh, but feeling to be a researcher as a founder is also not acceptable, right? Um, so please talk about that, you know, from a founder's perspective that how to not fall into this trap of, you know, you thinking that you're all of your users and how do you tackle with this? What has your experience been like? Have you made this mistake ever? And if you have, and if you have, how did you bounce back? Yeah, so this is definitely like one of the traps. I feel like there are a few traps that we can fall into as founders. Um, one of the ones is what we talked about before, where we can be overly perfectionist about things. One of the, them is like fear of launch, um, which is an interesting, the psychology of that is pretty interesting. <laughs> you, you create a product and like you don't launch it a lot. That happens a lot. And there's like a a conversation to have, you know, I, there are a lot of things that as a founder, we get, we start to become blind. So those are two things that I see. And then the third one is like, you are your user, you should be your, you, I hope you're your user, and that you're creating something that you're going to use. Um, and that you do eventually use habitually, that should be true. And you are not all of your users. So you can't speak for all of them. And if you aren't showing your work to anybody throughout the process, the likelihood that you're going to get to the end and be really afraid to launch is like pretty good. You know, you want to feel like you have validated your idea and you're confident in your product and you want people to have it. So it's good even from a psychological perspective to be involving other people in your process for you. It's good for you. And, um, it's also good for your product because a founder can get can think it's all about features and, and get really caught up in creating more and more and more features and delaying and delaying launch or over perfecting something. So I use that example in in the other product that I'm creating, which is called that thing I told you about. You can go to toldyouabout.com and join the request and invite. It's really fun. So anyway, I had, when I was testing that process, the add item process that I felt like it wasn't good. And if I hadn't showed it to someone, I would have iterated on it at least two more times. And I didn't need to do that. And time is costly and money is money, right? So we want to be smart about how we're using our resources and we're not just like tumbling down rabbit holes create it it does the thing we want it to do well that means we're ready to launch and with who farted you know that was the same thing too where i was going down a rabbit hole with the page turn animation like i was ready to like commit and spend some time figuring out how to make that work on top of a bunch of other animations there's like performance issues there were so many things that were hard about it and i like i really it felt to me super important when i was in the moment then I showed it to someone else. This why am I wasting it? Just put a button. Just put a button. Everybody understands that. You know, we all can fall into those traps. And I, it's just really important to know what they are 
and to stay self-aware when you start to feel like something's really important, when you start adding new features, are you just afraid of launching? And the other thing that I've seen, I'm working on a project that's under NDA, so I can't explain what it is, but it's kind of like the concept is great. And what the founder came to me with a vision of was the equivalent of like, I want people to come sit at a table and I'm going to give them like all these tools that they can use to create this really cool thing for themselves that I think they really want to create. So here's like oil pastels, here's paint, here's crayons, here's whatever. And they're going to sit down and make the thing. Likelihood of failure for something like that is really high, you know? You don't just want to give somebody a whole bunch of features and be like, look at all the stuff you can do because you have like, you have to number one, convince them that they want to make this thing. And then once you've done that, you have to make it really easy for them. You don't, people don't want to need to learn anything new or try hard really at all. So what you want to do is be like, okay, you want to create this thing? Tell me, you know, what do you really hope to get out of this experience? Here's three options. Okay, you choose one option. Great. So we recommend that, you know, you you come into this experience twice a week. So let's set a plan. Okay, here's your plan. So you say, I'm going to do this on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we know like creating habits, You if you create a plan, you're much more likely to follow through. So we have them create their plan. Okay, so now they know I'm going to create this thing. This is the thing I really want to create. And here's my plan that I'm going to do it. And then when I get that notification or prompt, it's really easy for me to then create. So rather than being like, okay, so now you need to write, it's like, we'll just hit the record button and talk to us for 15 minutes and then we'll create something, you know, with it. How do we, rather than being like, here, sit down, choose from all these great, this bevy of options versus we've created a plan for you. We're going to put you on this journey and we're going to walk you through it and it's going to be frictionless. So that's, that's an example of that too, because the founder is somebody who's highly motivated to create this thing. And in their mind, they want to have all these tools, but a normal person would have to figure out like, what are these? How do I, do I want what, you know? So, yeah. That's a really interesting point you brought up, Lindsay. And I know it's, it sounds very commonsensical that people don't want to learn or don't have much time to invest on something. But for some reason, like app creators can't understand it and they focus on educating the user more without understanding that the user doesn't want to be educated. <laughs> like there are thousands of things they already learn uh-huh. every day. A lot of, is going on in their life. And then you are putting some extra thing for them to get educated on. I don't know. (laughs) Why is that idea not being accepted or, I mean, because even in my experience, it's like we we give this demo, we'll give that demo. I'm like, no one's interested. (laughs) But no one wants to read your demo. No one wants to learn how to use your product. As founders, like sometimes we can think that they will, that they will be as motivated as we are. They won't, (laughs) they won't. So, yeah, and you know, that is very important. And I've also mentioned this in my previous podcasts that a lot of what I've learned about research and user research is from investing, right? So, what you just told me about is thinking about the worst case scenario, right? 
even in investing we think about the worst case scenario that okay what could go absolutely wrong and then what my situation will be so it's uh, not directly related but you are thinking about all the users who are motivated not so much motivated and then creating or starting from the lowest common denominator and then building up right so for example mm-hmm. creating a plan is part of that strategy that you know mm-hmm. make things as easy as possible right mm-hmm. with some pressure and then let people uh, do their own thing but make it as easy as possible so yeah that's really interesting story thank you for sharing yeah i i've been thinking about and uh, like obsessed with designing and testing onboarding which like how do you welcome people into your product and how much information do you ask for them when do you ask for it do you need it I have tried or I tried in the past year to design apps that have basically no onboarding at all. You just download and you you don't have to sign up or give your information or your phone number and, you know, other data. You don't have to sit through a tutorial. You can just basically self-serve and then you can create an account at a later point when it becomes really relevant that that's necessary. Like you want to created some data, you want to save it. Okay, well, let's create an account now. And then now I've been thinking a lot about, you know, for more complex, for products where we are not necessarily, okay, so the ideal scenario for an app is that you're taking something that people are already doing and you're making it faster and easier. You know, you can hit that out of the park. If you're creating something that requires them to create a new habit where it might be something they want to do, but like they need to have some motivation to do it and to show up, that's a higher cliff to climb. And so in those cases, what we've been working on designing are journeyed onboardings where we kind of, you know, ask you what you're here for, which allows us to also communicate what this app can do for you. But but in a way in which you become engaged in that. So we're here, what do you want to achieve? And then we're like, okay, let's set you on this journey where this is how we're going to get this done. I'm going to take you to this spot of the app right now. I'm going to take you directly here. You need immediate help. Okay, I'm going to take you directly here, post something to this expert, and you'll get a response. You want a sense of community? Okay, I'm going to take you to the community feed. Like, Check it out, introduce yourself, blah, blah, blah. So like, or, you know, I want to create this thing. Okay, let's make a plan. Or I want to be more mindful. Okay, let's set some reminders. Whatever it is to kind of just cater the onboarding to giving them the thing that they want to get out of the experience, that's what I'm working on now, which, you know, can take a myriad forms depending on what the product is. But that basic setup, what do you want to achieve? Okay, let me, uh, we're going to help you with that. Absolutely. That was an interesting take on onboarding because onboarding has always been, and I think will always be an issue. Uh, mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you so much for joining in, Lindsay. This has been a delightful conversation. Your perspective as a founder has helped me become a better user researcher because we have talked previously as well. And I've thought about the stories you have told and tried to implement it. So this means a lot, you know, Uh, oftentimes people don't understand that things are not isolated and things don't exist in silos and we can constantly learn from each other. But still there is 
tendency to become niche and i understand that because the world is becoming that way you have your niche audience you have your niche this you have your niche that but your brain doesn't work that way it learns from everything and everywhere so you coming to the show and sharing your story is a huge thing for me thank you so much <laughs>